Welcome to People from the Program, a podcast highlighting alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. Welcome everyone to People from the Program, the podcast that highlights the career journeys of alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. I'm your host, Bryce Butler, founder and chairman of the NYU Music Business Alumni Network and a proud alum myself of the NYU Music Business Program. So on today's show, our guest is Brittany Holloway, Partner Solutions Manager at Meta. Brittany is currently based in LA, and when she's not working, can most often be found catching summer concerts at the Hollywood Bowl, checking out the latest musical tourings in LA, or playing rec soccer. Brittany, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bryce. Great to chat with you. Absolutely. Um, Brittany and I met a few years ago. Um, she's one of the coolest, great career journey. Had to have you on the show, Brittany, and I'm thankful that you decided to do it. Yeah, thanks for thinking of me and always happy to talk with others from the program. So really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, great. All right. So let's jump into it with the first question I like to ask all the guests. Tell me about your journey to the NYU Music Business Program. How'd you find it and what led you there? Sure. So when I was first looking at different universities, I was thinking I was going to major in environmental science. So very different from oh, wow. music business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so when I was looking at different programs, I would always look at the environmental science programs, but it was always really important to me to make sure that whatever college I went to had a strong music program, not just academically, but in a way that would allow me to really lean into different extracurricular activities like joining a choir or being able to go to sort of student concerts and that sort of thing. And so when I landed on NYU, I didn't think I was going into the music business program because I didn't even know that that was an option I could take advantage of. But mm. I knew that there was a huge music scene both at NYU and in the city. So it was a huge perk of me choosing to go to NYU. Um, once I got to NYU, I noticed that people were pursuing all of these amazing creative passions of theirs. <laughs> and while I think environmental science is cool, I realized that I could choose something that I loved and was super <laughs> passionate about. So it was really a no brainer for me once I started looking a bit deeper into NYU's music programs, that music business would be this great combination of music and sort of the business fundamentals that I felt I had a strong skill set in, or I could develop a strong skill set in. So I actually transferred to the music business program once I wow. got to NYU and really started it my sophomore year. Oh, wow. I've had this, this has come up with a few people that we've talked to <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. they had this path and, you know, it was something, I guess we can use the word traditional. That was mm -hmm. a little bit more more traditional. And then they, they discovered this program or found out and then that that light bulb went off. And then they, you know, they went and pursued it. I'm one of those people. A little mm -hmm. bit and a little bit different. I started off, I was a finance major, wanted to pursue sport management, entertainment management, marketing. And when I was at the University of Dayton, decided to also switch majors. Um, my father had to go to my mentor and professor and have a conversation about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, happy Father's Day, actually. Uh, yes. So to all the fathers out there listening. So we had to get the buy-in. So I have yep. to ask, did you also have to get the buy-in a little bit when you made your switch? I would say 
from my family or from the program? Uh, from the family. <laughs> yes. So I learned that once I was sort of raising my hand to move over to the music business program and figure out what that process looked like, that my mom thought all along that this was going to be my path. Wow, I was not really? at all surprised that I chose to pursue music. Um, but I didn't know that she had already been thinking that would happen. Um, and I think part of the reason for that was when I had thought about potentially pursuing music, I had assumed the only path for me would have been as a performer. And I knew that that wasn't a path that I was going to go down. So I had sort of dismissed music as a career for me. And then upon learning that there was this sort of cross, not even cross-functional, but interdisciplinary program, I realized that that was precisely what I needed in order to have the confidence to move forward um, with music. So I realized I could sort of land in a little bit more of a nine to five where I could right. seek out or get stability. So that's really what I needed. And I didn't have to convince my parents at all because they were sort of already on board and predicted this path for me. Oh, wow. Shout out to your parents. For yeah, exactly. The, Thank for you, vision. mom and dad, for the support. <laughs> for, have, for having the vision. Okay. So, so you get to the program and you're going through the program. What was your favorite class from the program and why? Yeah. So my favorite class in the program was music publishing. I had Jennifer Blakeman as my professor. So oh, shout out there as well. Shout out to Jennifer Blakeman. And one of the reasons I really loved that class is the combination of the foundational knowledge in music publishing that it gave me, but also the opportunity to be creative and to make it practical. I remember one of the projects that we had was to come up with an idea of a brand and an artist or songwriter working together on a given product so that mm. we could figure out both the creative execution of that product as well as think through what some of the mechanics of the licensing agreement may look like. So I really liked that it was practical. I chose a moleskin notebook with the <laughs> lyrics, the rest is still unwritten from the classic <laughs> Natasha oh Bedingfield song. So it was really fun for me. I'm still remembering that project to this day. So I would definitely say that was the top of my list as far as the classes I took. Interesting, because as we get into your your internship and career journey, definitely see how that influenced kind of how you went and the path that you took. So it's interesting that you would say that. Um, mm -hmm. So then, okay, you go through the program, you got your class as you're coming out. If you had to pick one main takeaway you got from the program, what would you say it would be? This is such a great question because I think my gut instinct to this question is to say the people, the network, you know, being able to run into so many people from the program in New York, in LA and at conferences has been incredible. But just mm -hmm. to be a little bit different on this one, I would say one of the biggest takeaways for me was really to learn the language of different disciplines so that you can mm. really gel and mesh with people who have different areas of expertise. And I say this because, mm. as you know, in the program, we had to take a lot of foundational music classes. And naturally, if you're working in the music industry, you are likely to be working with songwriters or artists or come across those people. And to be able to speak the language of the creative side of the industry, I found has been super helpful for me. But we've also had to take 
business foundational classes. In the same way you want to be able to talk the talk of a musician or an artist in certain rooms, you may want to talk the talk of other business colleagues that you may have so that you can really understand what it is that they're talking about and really understand what they can also bring to the table. So I would say being able to adapt and learn the language of different disciplines so that you can at least get in that room, demonstrate your competency, but also use that platform and that opportunity to really understand that, hey, you won't know everything and you can't know everything. So how can you sort of put the relevant pieces together so that you can really have a well-rounded team behind you or a well-rounded team sort of working towards the same goal? Yeah, that's great. Having that well-rounded experience is is very important. I feel particularly when, whether whether it's in the program or coming out of the program, because a lot of us, we were still figuring out where did we really want to pursue? Where did we want to go? Mm-hmm. So being able to form, I think that's just a great call out that you just talked about, because being able to understand and have a base basis with that language a more base, I should say, with that language allows you to kind of go explore other things and not be so unfamiliar that mm-hmm. it's out of water. But you're like, okay, I've, this is somewhat familiar. Let me dig more into this. It gives you a little bit more freedom to do that. Right. And I also think it demonstrates to oneself like, oh, I didn't know anything about that thing before, but I was able to get that foundation of, of knowledge, that foundation of language. And now I can sort of hold my own. So whether you actually use it in that first discipline you picked up that skill in or you take it to a new discipline, it's nice to know that we sort of have this muscle that each of us can flex. Yeah, I mean, it's it's super important. So then coming out. Oh, oh and just for the listeners, um, Brittany, let's clarify. Did you mm-hmm. do the undergrad or the grad program? I was in the undergraduate program. You were in the undergraduate program. See, it's mm-hmm. so interesting, and, and that's a good, it's good to distinguish a little bit so people can understand. So my experience was in the grad program. So your experience, a little bit different, having that four years and mm-hmm. being really embedded with with the different coursework, but even though there's some similarities. So when you graduated, let's kind of dig into, you know, the start of the journey and the internship experience. Mm-hmm. What was your what was your first internship job experience like um, when you when you got out of the program? Because it you started in public relations and then you started to move more to the royalty piece. So talk a little bit about that. Sure. So as far as my first internship experience was concerned, it was one of those situations where I had really no job experience and I was throwing my resume out there to anyone who would be willing to open it and read it. So when I landed at my first internship, which was Nasty Little Man PR, (laughs) it was really the first company that was willing to give me that chance. Oh, And uh, I'm so grateful for that and being able to start building my resume. So I was interning there for one semester. And it's one of those experiences where it's just as valuable to learn what you like as to learn what you don't like. Absolutely. And <laughs> uh, while it, it was so cool to have that as my first step into the industry, I realized that PR wasn't uh, super interesting to me. So right. I shouldn't even say it's not super interesting to me as it wasn't something I was particularly passionate about. So I took that learning with me and had my next internship at 
Abco Music and Records. Right. I sort mm -hmm. of went into that internship thinking that I wanted to delve into licensing a bit, likely because of my positive experience in the music publishing class. And the reality was there was a larger need for someone to work in royalties at Abco than there was for someone to work in licensing since that base was already covered. So the way I saw it was, hey, if you have a need and you're looking to me for that need, I want to add value in whatever way I can. Yes. And the cool thing about that position is I was able to stay at Abco for, I think, a year or so within college. So got to move around. There were between 30 and 45 people working there at the time. So I really felt like I had a chance to meet everyone and work with a lot of different people while I was at that company. And ultimately I knew at the end of my time at Abco, I wanted that next experience to really give me a shot at working in licensing. So mm. that leads me to my next internship, which was at Harry Fox agency. Yes. In my head, I had thought, Hey, I want to work in licensing. Here's a licensing role. But right. I hadn't really thought about the fact that yes, I can work in licensing and it could be sync licensing where you are really mm. helping to execute on the process for getting a sync license and you know, whatever it might be a song in a video in a movie, whatever. I was working on a licensing team at Harry Fox, which naturally was working on mechanical licenses. And that <laughs> is a much more, um, a much less creative way to work right. in licensing. Um, but yeah, I had a few different internship experiences during my time at NYU. And I felt so grateful to have those while in college, uh, especially since my final internship was at the orchard and mm -hmm. that had really opened me up to this idea of working at a distribution company where mm -hmm. you have the artists creating their music, using the distribution company to varying extents, either just to distribute their content or to partner with on various marketing campaigns. Right. And then of course, you know, getting that music out to a variety of different digital service platforms. So I felt really happy with the opportunity to get a diverse experience through my different internships. And I think that definitely made me feel confident going into my first full-time role, which was at a distribution company, TuneCore. Right. So let's back up a little bit. Yeah. Um, getting this, getting the experience you got, mm -hmm. royalties at Abco, learning that business, mechanical licensing at Harry mm -hmm. Fox, which like you said, is very different. Yep. When you got to the when you got to the orchard and they saw this, you started working in client services. Were mm -hmm. you doing licensing and servicing on all of those sides, or were you shifting more towards the creative piece, which was more on the sync side? Like mm -hmm. how did that work in terms of the the, the previous experience in licensing to yeah. now? So I would say when I chose my final internship at the orchard and got the offer to intern there, I had selected the orchard because of how strong I had heard the culture was and mm. how fun it seemed to work there. I was a little less concerned about the specific function. So mm. I wouldn't say I worked in licensing or royalties when I got to the orchard, but in working on the client services team, I was able to work a little bit closer to the artists. So I wasn't, of course, managing those relationships myself as an intern, but 
I got to join meetings where we would talk about new music that was being released and if there were certain placements that could be um, received for that music on various playlists, um, just making sure across the board there was a clear understanding of what needed to happen for an artist's music to go live on the release date, giving it the best possible chance mm. it could for success and reaching an audience. So uh, that really gave me the taste of what it could be like to get a little closer to the music. And a big light bulb went off in my head, which was, hey, this is why I wanted to work in the music industry. This is why I wanted to pursue music business is because I love music. I love artists. I want to support artists. And so just getting that glimpse in my final internship at the Orchard gave me this sort of North Star for what it could mean for me to continue on this path in a way that felt fulfilling and exciting to me. Wow, that's great. So then there's a little bit of a shift in a transition as you're doing this work. Mm -hmm. You start doing some specific work with YouTube first mm -hmm. at the Orchard, which seems to translate to your experience going to TuneCore. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So after my internship at the Orchard, I ended up working briefly part-time at the Orchard on the YouTube content team. And a lot of what I was doing was making sure that the Orchard's artists had their music appropriately claimed and represented within the YouTube content management system. And the reality was the job itself was quite manual. And right. as I was thinking of my career path post-college, I knew I wanted to get a little bit more hands-on and be a little bit more strategic about what I was working on. And I also wanted that full-time salary. So <laughs> right. those different factors all fed into me going over to TuneCore in my first full-time position. And I had two different roles over the course of my time at TuneCore. But to your point, the role I ended up in um, near the latter part of my time at TuneCore was specific to YouTube in that mm -hmm. I was working with a set of artists on growing their YouTube presence uh, because YouTube was one of the revenue streams at TuneCore where TuneCore did actually take a cut. <laughs> TuneCore's uh. business model otherwise didn't take a percentage, but since we were able to share in the success of our artists on YouTube, there were certain artists that we would specifically partner with to make sure that they understood how to optimize their use of the platform. Mm. We came up with creative ideas together to try to uh, get Gardner more and more attention or excitement around either a video release or a lyric video even just that track on YouTube with some fun thumbnails. So mm -hmm. it was a, another opportunity for me to once again, sort of have that relationship with the artist, but also be the bridge between them and the business and the rest of the company. Interesting. So would you say you were on the video side at TuneCore, almost this internal project manager, like facilitating that relationship, but also working with say any any advertising piece that would come in for videos and then promoting those videos did you were you involved in that is that the way a best way to look at it or should we look at it differently yeah i would say the way 
I would explain my position at TuneCore was I could be in a meeting with an artist trying to understand what new music they were releasing, what was really in their repertoire that we could repurpose into a video and give them creative ideas of how to point their fans to the next thing they wanted to get eyes on. And then I could go into a meeting with internal project managers or product stakeholders advocating on behalf of those artists or other artists at TuneCore for better tooling, more data and analytics, whatever it might be, so that there was uh, some advocacy for those artists from someone who was talking to them and had the sort of perspective of what those artists' goals are and what they were looking for. Oh, excellent. Wow. So, so you have this really media role at TuneCore. You've you jumped in, first full-time job. Talk a little bit about how from TuneCore you moved to Pandora. Um, mm -hmm. Talk about that experience. Yeah, so here is one of those times where I can proudly talk about the value of a network and a value of getting referrals. But I would say I got my foot in the door through, excuse me, a referral from a friend that I used to work with at the orchard. So it all comes full circle, but full I circle. Would say, <laughs> I would say shout out to Heather Ellis from my orchard days for that referral. Yeah. Shout out and to Heather Ellis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I knew that I was interested in pursuing a path that was a little bit more tech centric. TuneCore really gave me the opportunity to understand what it meant to work with folks who were product managers, designers, even engineers. And I wanted to see what the tech world is all about. So when I had applied for the position at Pandora, I really appreciated that the position was one that would really be in between the artists and the internal product teams, because I felt like my communication skills were well suited for that type of role and position between parties. So I went over to Pandora and had the benefit of working on a team that used to be a startup. So I worked on the Next Big Sound team. Some of you may be familiar with Next Big Sound. Yes. And <laughs> yes. Love my Next Big Sound days and joined a team that was super cross-functional. There was one other person on my team who had a similar role to my own, which was the, that bridge between the artists and the labels and even our internal artists and label relations team. And then the rest of the technical folks that sat behind us, which included those designers, engineers, data scientists, you name it. Um, and when I first jumped into that position, I was in a lot of meetings with those technical folks where acronyms were being shared left and right. <laughs> we were talking about all different sorts of databases I had never heard of before. And I really felt in over my head, certainly had some imposter syndrome and felt like, what can I bring to the table here when I have such smart people working next to me and I don't know anything <laughs> that they're saying right now. But the reality was we just had different disciplines that we were experienced in. So whereas right. people on my team could figure out how to find the right data, 
that we might want to display in the next big sound artist profile. Both myself and my one other colleague were really the only ones in some of those smaller rooms who could speak to what artists and labels really cared mm. about, what their goals were, yes. the most common questions they asked about their data and what they wanted to do next. So it made me realize that it wasn't that they were geniuses and I was stupid, but it's that we brought right. different things to the table. And that's exactly why we were all in that room and all had a unique role yes. to play. Um, I have my own connection to Pandora and I'm going to give, I'm going to give a shout out to someone. I did some work in the copyright um, section of the company with Brittany Foreman. So shout out. Yeah, <laughs> shout, shout out, out to other, other Brittany. Brittany. Spells it a little differently than you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she does. But we we didn't work there at the same time, but we've had a chance to meet in other forums. Shout so out to definite Brittany. Shout She's out to one Brittany. of the coolest. Um, super smart and super cool. So, yeah. So this is interesting because everything you're talking about, it just seems to really build off of the tune core experience where you really got in the weeds dealing with artists and being in those rooms. So now you're at Pandora and that light bulb goes off, you know, just like you said, like, oh yeah, you know, everyone is smart and that's great, but I do belong here because I'm bringing this different perspective. I'm able to wed the two, the data and what the label, what the artists are really mm -hmm. looking for. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I felt super grateful to be in the room, but at first it was because I thought I didn't deserve to be there and I <laughs> snuck in luckily. Um, and once I got more comfortable with my own value in that space, um, that's when things really started to gel and feel really grateful that that opportunity also brought me some, some great friends across different disciplines as well. So overall had a really fun experience there and, um, also got to meet some yeah, cool artists absolutely. along the way. Um, Brittany, just a little bit of an in the weeds question. Do when you're at Pandora, do you consider that role? Mm -hmm. Hmm technically like a partner manager role or a project manager role or like, like, how do you view that? Ooh, this is <laughs> such a juicy question. Um, and I say that because when Next Big Sound was first acquired, even though it was before I had joined Pandora, it sort of kept its integrity mm. with its different disciplines and could be self-sufficient. Um, but of course, then started to integrate more closely right. with the rest of Pandora yep. as time went on. And so when I joined Pandora, I really was wearing more hats mm -hmm. than I would have expected to coming into a, a larger company. But we had a lot of freedom and autonomy to do what we felt was best for artists as it related to their data needs. So I often describe my experience there as being some combination of artist and label relations for Pandora's data and analytics platform and some product marketing for Pandora's artist tools, because over time my role and scope sort of expanded to include more responsibilities that related to getting the word out and driving adoption of sort of the different suite of services that we had available. For Interesting. Artists. So, Super succinct and short. No, no, no. It's great. In this particular role, when you say go to market strategies, mm -hmm. now is that bringing in more of a marketing piece where you're creating the campaigns to promote the tools to to the user base or to the or the outside people to adopt? Like, can you talk about that a little bit? Mm 
Yes, I can. So this was an interesting situation because in the time I was at Pandora, I was never working with a marketing mm. budget. So there are certain responsibilities that typically fall under go-to-market responsibilities right. or product yeah. marketing responsibilities that are tied to that budget, but that wasn't the case for me. I will say, though, a lot of my responsibilities did include building those value propositions mm. for what it is that we were launching, developing the mm. messaging and the positioning around what it is that was launching, and then putting all of those pieces together, ranging from the email that's being sent or what the landing page might look like or the blog post and a lot of, um, a lot of product right. demos, a lot of sort of pitches or feature announcements that I would share to labels and artists. So it's not always the most conventional way to talk about certain product marketing tasks, but that was really my first taste of what it would look like to sort of package up a feature in a way that's digestible and really helps solve a pain point for the end user, which in this case was typically either an artist. You know, this is very artist. interesting. I was talking to Stephanie Goldberg about this, who also went to the program is over at mm -hmm. Sony. And, you know, this idea, your role here at Pandora, it sounds a lot like almost account management um, and of, of course, product marketing in that sense, where a lot of times in those account manager sales roles, when you have a client or someone you've signed, you will then demo a product and really take them through so they can adopt and they can build off of it. So those people are account managers in a lot of different mm -hmm. areas. You weren't necessarily called an account manager here, but all of those functions are, are coming into place. So people need to really consider and think about our mm -hmm. industry that while it is unique, many other industries overlap with the things that we're doing. So a lot of the skills that we have in the industry are very transferable. So it's important for people to think about those things. Definitely. Yeah, lots of transferable skills. And I'd even add that one of the things I felt lucky to have in my role at Pandora was that when I was in the room with a label or an artist, we of course wanted them to adopt our tool set and help drive our goals, which we, we thought ultimately tied back to the business goals yeah. and the health of Pandora. But because it wasn't quite a sales or account management role, I was able to be, I, I would say even right. more free <laughs> to say like, hey, if you adopt this or don't, you know, this doesn't affect <laughs> my bottom line, right. my performance <laughs> metrics for the quarter. I just am in this room with you today because I think you would right. genuinely benefit from yeah. implementing this tool or this tactic into your strategy. So here's why. And if you doubt that, or if you have questions, I can answer anything and everything right. as transparently as possible. And if you need time to think about it, like that's great. Um, I know sometimes certain people in at certain companies that work in sales don't necessarily yeah. have as much flexibility. So I felt really grateful that I could really have that sort of transparency with these different industry stakeholders. And I think they realized that I was just happy to give them something great that they Yeah, absolutely. Them. I think what transfers to that passion point, I think transfers in another industry. If you're sales and account management, you might be executing against a quota and a goal that you have. But I think for account management, right. where that passion can come in is if you really know the SOW and the scope for, of the client and what their goals are, 
then you'll present something to them, even though, yes, you're trying to reach a quota, you'll present something to them that only benefits their goals. And that's where they can be excited and you can be right, honest exactly. and transparent with them because you're presenting things that are like, okay, if this is working for you, let's think about other ways that we can get it working against your goals. So I think that's where it's a little bit different, um, mm -hmm. but you can still attain and get mm -hmm. to that same passion point. Yeah, no, no, that's Definitely. great. So you've got your time at Pandora, you're really digging in, you know, it's almost like you're at the, you're at the forefront of a, a, you know, a, a very well-known tech company, music company. Um, and you're really just working with clients to get them to adopt these tools and you're building these skills, which serve you well in your next role um, at SoundCloud. Can, can you talk about that? Because I mm -hmm. find the title you have at SoundCloud very interesting and a good segue based on what we just talked about. So can you give us the story about that? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think when I had moved over to SoundCloud, something that I was searching for was a role and honestly a title that I felt like could right. translate well to other right. companies in the music industry, even outside of the industry, just so that I could have a little bit more um, sort of certainty and what's the best way to describe it? So that I could better explain <laughs> what I did without my title <laughs> right. really confusing people. And I say that because even at Pandora, my first title was client services analyst, which matches a lot of sales specific roles. So it wasn't really that great right. of a description of what I was doing. And then my final title at Pandora may have been manager of mm -hmm. creative tools and services, but there was another title in the mix that was data or insights and data. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you the whole list without looking it up. So when I moved over to SoundCloud, there was a product marketing manager position specific to the creator tool set. And I was and still am much more interested in working on the creator or artist side than mm -hmm. maybe the listener side. So it really appealed to me that I could package all of my experience into this PMM role and SoundCloud presented me with that opportunity. I felt like I knew what it was like to work at this bridge or intersection between music and technology and SoundCloud was just that. So moved over to SoundCloud and was there about a year and a half? I think one thing I realized during this time was that this position in particular actually moved me a little bit further away from the artists or the creators than I was hoping I would or that I really realized a PMM um, would be further from. So that was one of the things that really struck me about taking on a firm PMM role is that some of those conversations, meetings, conferences that I had had amongst artists, labels, managers, were just a little bit further away um, in that function, at least at SoundCloud. And uh, that was something I'm really grateful to have learned because I brought that into what it was I wanted to prioritize in my next position, which is at Meta, my current company. Man, yeah, that's great. And then, so kind of talk about that. You know, you're, you're, you're at Meta, you know, you've got a very interesting role and you've got kind of very interesting responsibilities in that space. Can you talk about how that tied over and mm -hmm. what you brought from, 
from SoundCloud to move on to Meta to build that role? Definitely. So one of the things, as I mentioned, that I was looking to prioritize was being in a role that allowed me to be more mm -hmm. partner facing or externally facing. And when I had first joined Meta, I was hired to focus on Meta's audio products, both the ones they had at that time and that they were planning to release over the next few months. And I already knew audio would be adjacent to music. It wouldn't necessarily be one in the same. So for instance, podcasts were one of the audio formats that was sort mm -hmm. of falling underneath my umbrella. And over the next few months, it had become clear to me and to the company that audio was actually not going to really be prioritized mm. at the company level the same way they thought it was mm, when I had first been hired. So it was definitely an interesting switch up within just my first few months at the company. I think maybe my second week at the job, the company had rebranded from Facebook to Meta. I went into the holiday season still onboarding. And then by the top of the following year, it was already concluded, hey, you're actually going to change your focus because we're no longer going to go as hard into audio as we thought. Mm. So the good news is, number one, they chose to keep me and move me to a different uh, product area, which isn't always the case when priorities change. So I felt very grateful about that. And the second good thing is that I was staying on the same team where functionally speaking, I was going to be tapped for helping with mm. driving product adoption and product education on one side, and then in the opposite direction, advocating on behalf of those partners to our internal product teams, being in certain conversations about product development and all of that stuff. So even though I wasn't within the product area, I thought I would be functionally speaking, I really still liked that kind of work. So for the last year and a half, I've had different mm -hmm. areas of focus. So one area has been branded content and that's not specific to musicians only. It could be for an athlete or a mm. wellness creator or, or a musician, right? It could be any sort of kind of entertainment partner who wanted to get up to speed on branded content, optimize um, their strategy as it related to branded content. And then my other area of focus was just overall audience development, primarily on Instagram. So I've been deep in the mm. weeds in that work for a little over a year and a half. And um, I think my role is shifting a little bit now as well, since Meta's mm -hmm. had a lot of restructurings in the last few months. So excited to see what will come of those changes, but happy to have sort of made it through yes. the most recent rounds of layoffs. And um, the, the beauty of working at a company with this much change yes. is that you're always learning and there's always something new around the corner. So there's certainly been a lot of growing pains with that, but um, I do appreciate the fact that I haven't for one second felt stagnant at Meta because um, I know there's still so much work to be done and so much. Yes, to do absolutely. Learn. So let's real quick dig a little bit into that with so with Meta having so many mm -hmm. products and solutions and so many partners, mm -hmm. how would you describe as a partner mm -hmm. solutions manager? What does it mean specifically to have that role at Meta? And, and who, is the, who is the partner and how are you deciding, okay, these are the products and services this partner 
kind of needs to needs to use or will best benefit their business? Like what goes into that day to day for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would say certain people within the partnerships organization are more focused on a partner mm, okay. vertical. So for instance, someone could exclusively focus on athletes, someone could exclusively focus on artists or beauty and fashion creators. And then there's other folks within the partnerships organization that have more of a product focus. So for instance, if my product mm -hmm. focus was branded content, I would be supporting branded content across, across right. the partnerships organization. So since I was a bit more product focused than partner vertical focused, I was able to really partner with other folks within the organization to say, you know, what do your partners care about the most? And is it one of my product areas? Because one of my product mm -hmm. areas was audience development. Naturally, that was something that people across the team oh, were always very interested in. Yeah. But <laughs> exactly, that isn't super vertical focused. Um, so a lot of what I would do was to figure out, okay, what are the latest and greatest updates as it relates to my product area? And what are some specific examples or use cases, even anecdotes of certain partners, either across the organization or maybe from a specific vertical so that I could help convey and demonstrate the value of both, you know, the evergreen features that exist as well as what's coming. So I had the opportunity to do a lot of uh, and run a lot of programs for different meta partners and some of them were a little bit more focused. So for instance, one was with climate mm. creators and those are folks who create a lot of content to try to promote yes. a sustainable mm. lifestyle or sustainability in general. So I would talk to those creators about different audience mm. development tactics. And I would also tap some of my colleagues who maybe had different product focus areas so that we could sort of give them this well-rounded educational package on what they could do to take their account to the next level, especially because we as Meta wanted to help champion and equip these climate creators with the tools that would not just make their accounts better, but hopefully make the world a right. better and more sustainable place. So that's just one example of how everything sort of came together to um, in my role. Over yeah, the course Brittany, of my in your meta. role, how, because when people hear branded content, I think they may get a certain image, mm -hmm. you know, on what is the definition of the brand. Sure. Were you doing a lot of work with traditional brands in general that that obviously met as a big part of their strategy and they want to create content and maybe partner with different creators or different people on the platform? Were you involved in that process at all? So there's a sales team and a partnerships team at Meta. The sales team deals a lot more with the brands and for instance, the money they're putting behind certain advertising mm -hmm. campaigns. When I was working on branded content, I was working a bit more with the other side of the equation, which would be the creator right. or the influencer mm -hmm. that would get Excellent. tapped to sort of partner with that brand. And so ultimately I would make sure they understood how to give the relevant permissioning so that things could get set up properly would talk through certain best practices so that they could make the most out of their content in a way that felt authentic and 
engaging. So that's just a little glimpse into what it might look like Man. to talk about branded content. It's such a wide side. ranging and meaty role. Um, it's just really cool. And I think it's great that we can, we can dive into these things because, you know, in general, people who want to pursue, you know, entertainment or music in the industry, you know, they may have a very general idea of saying, oh, I'd love to work for Meta. And that's great. <laughs> but it's great to understand how these different mm -hmm. roles and different parts really work so people can hone their skills so they're bringing a lot, lot to the table. So it's really great that we're understanding and digging into what does it mean to be a partner solutions manager? Or there are many different ways that that, that, can, mm -hmm. that can work and there are many ways that people can be effective. So this is really, really great stuff to just hear and, and go through. Um, yeah, of course. No, please. I'll just add if you have a second. Uh, one thing that I found people can get a little scared by when thinking about moving over to a tech company is if they don't have what they believe to be technical skills or they don't have any technical skills, um, are not a software engineer, whatever it might be. I am not a software engineer. I cannot code, yet I right. do work at a tech company. And as I've sort of alluded to over the course of our chat, a lot of it has come down to being able to communicate with different groups. So I can talk to a creator, understand their needs, attempt to relate to them, et cetera. But I can also talk to an engineer or a product manager in a little bit more of their language to try to build that bridge between those groups. So I'll say if you're listening and you want to work in tech, but don't feel like you have a technical skill set, that does not mean that you can't find a home at a company like Meta. It's a lot about just positioning your skills, whether it's within the industry or transferable skills from another one in a way that really demonstrates that you can sort of be that glue. That's a Just great point. Um, we are in similar boats. I am in sales at a social media analytics company. I, mm -hmm. I am not a data analyst. <laughs> you know, I can't code or anything mm -hmm. like that, but growing and understanding sales and process and how sales needs to work and how we need to convey value for the people that could really use us and could benefit our service, you know, that's transferable and we can mm -hmm. all, we can do that. So yeah, anyone listening out there, you build your skills and don't be afraid to be at these places where you, you might not be a software engineer, you might not be a data analyst, but you have skills to bring to the table that the company could use. So absolutely, no, that's a mm -hmm. great point. Um, two more questions. One, what are you curious about right now? <laughs> I love this question too. Uh, I'm going to just take a personal sure. approach to this question. And I would say I'm curious about what my role will morph to at Meta in the coming months. Because I mentioned there's been yes. some changes and restructurings as a result of some of the recent layoffs. And I'm super curious to see what I will do next at this company. Um, because I've had such varied experiences thus far, I feel like it could go in a lot of different directions. I've heard some rumblings that I might be working to support the sports mm. vertical a little more than I have been thus far. And I haven't really spent a lot of dedicated time in the sports space. Although I personally yeah. play soccer two to three times <laughs> a week and I'm a fan <laughs> on the side. Exactly. So I would just say personally, I'm really curious about what my main projects or responsibilities will be over the next few months and through the rest of 2023. Listen, that soccer vertical could be calling you. 
could be calling you. <laughs> I know, right? Put it out into the universe. No, absolutely. That's great. Um, and then my last question, I love to ask this question of all my guests. If you could go back and talk to yourself on the first day that you started the program, what would you say to yourself? I would just say you can do this and it's worth it. I think I was so nervous when I first transferred into the program that I was pursuing a career path that would be um, rocky. And I know it can be rocky, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth it when you land on the other side. So I would say you're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. I'm proud of you for pursuing your passion and you're going to make this very, work. very inspirational words. I love it. <laughs> Everyone, that <laughs> is Brittany Holloway, Partner Solutions Manager at Meta. Brittany, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I definitely wanted to get you on. And yeah, this is a great conversation. I really appreciate you. Of course, thank you so much, Bryce, for having me. And I'll see you the next Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And if folks are in LA, they need to hit you up to play some rec soccer because you're going hard. Yeah, I got the hookup. <laughs> All right, everyone. I want to thank you for listening to this episode. I'll have more episodes coming um, down the pipe. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's BryceB88. Um, yeah, be looking out for more episodes. But until then, I want you to take care and be well. Thanks for listening to this episode of People from the Program. Be sure to check us out anywhere you listen to your podcasts and stay tuned for future episodes of the show.